This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. I'm Bernard Matthewman, client partner at Motive Partners, and I'm delighted to be interviewing today Chris Lowe. Chris is the CEO of Lechego from Botswana, actually, but why don't I let Chris tell us a little bit about his business? Thanks for this opportunity, Bernard. Lechego has been around uh, 20 years this year and started life as a, a lender to civil servants in Botswana, where our headquarters still remains. They were excluded by the banking sector back then, and they introduced the concept of a deduction at source model, whereby the salaries of civil servants would be paid to a registry where we could check affordability, check for other loans, etc. And off the back of that, then create a simple model where we can lend up to a certain amount and get paid back by EFT, using acronyms, but those are well known in the market, I'm sure. We've expanded out of that. So we're now in 11 countries in West, East and Southern Africa. And along the way, we've acquired microfinance banking businesses, a couple of banking licenses, because the way forward, as we see it, is a bank-like model whereby you can offer customers the full set of savings, borrowings, microinsurance, payments. But we don't want to do that ourselves. Our model's built around recognizing the value of digital and finding strategic partners who can execute faster than we can do it ourselves. So there's a win-win for us and them. And more importantly, we get to the customer first. Sounds phenomenal. You know, for some people, it sounds a little bit anomalous talking about digital and Africa, but it really is possible, isn't it? Do you want to talk a little bit about your plans and your actions there? Yeah, I mean, there's fantastic opportunity because as we've discussed before, you're not actually trying to build around an infrastructure that's there. You're actually trying to create one Mm. that digitizes at the end of the day from low cash payments to ATM equivalent. Okay, there's ATMs there already, but just how do you get cash to the right place for people to withdraw and what you do with deposits? So take a simple example, agency model in Mozambique. We've called it the blue box. It comes in a little blue box. We can go to a customer and say, would you like to be an agent for us? That means that you will earn commission for account opening, your own commission for moving money to another customer, which might be on a mobile wallet or might be in a bank. And you start to get to where the traders are because the biggest challenge that many Africans have in business at the bottom end is they have to be at their store because otherwise they miss the sale. So how do you get banking right to their doorstep? without putting in expensive infrastructure. You go to a customer who can do it, and with digital, you can give them a tablet or a mobile, and they can do everything across that. So it's a very simplified version of the complexity that's here. You don't need credit cards. You can do that on the phone. Mm. You don't need any form of traditional banking check. You can take a lot of cost out because it's not there already. And there's an appetite for it. Wow. So you're getting digital touch points, you're bringing your SMEs into your sphere, and you're getting many more points of contact at lower cost than you would have afforded doing this in a traditional banking way. I mean, are there downsides to this? Oh, yes. People will game the system to start with because they see commissions. uh, We've already come across it. So you enter the whole world of cyber risk or technology risk that uh, we've got to build ourselves out for. But um, at the end of the day, 
many of the customers we've engaged with so far are really quite excited by this. So Mozambique, we've now been running it, the pilot, for I'd say about four or five months. We've got signed up over 150 agents. They in turn have signed up many thousands of customers. We're seeing volumes going up. The big challenge, of course, is how do you monetize that into a profitable, sustainable model? And that's where we're now starting to give some focus because you need you need that volume to be able to prove that the model works or it doesn't. Right. So, I mean, that sounds though incredibly efficient if you can get it to work and you can get your SME customers to effectively be your bankers and drive the growth of the bank from a sort of on the ground perspective. It sounds amazingly productive if you can get it working. Is, is this um, something that you think has got legs across a wider territory or is this really just a Mozambique that you, you think? No, um, we've done assessments in Ghana and in Tanzania. In Tanzania and most of East Africa, as you all know well, there's a lot of agency banking already in existence. Mozambique, there's not. But then the model becomes a different form of model is can you use a third party agent to be your agent and pay them commission as well, but you have no control over how the agents manage. So then you've got to have some form of due diligence, approval process to assign them as an agent, and you've got to be able to monitor either using their own technology or the technology you give them to run it. There's a third model, which we're looking at in Nigeria, which is a partner agency model, where you get into bed with a payments company that wants to monetize the payments. In this case, we're looking at farm subsidies. And uh, they would set up the agency network, but they would offer bank-like products that we provide across that network, as well as distribute the subsidies. So you then get into the ecosystem, which to me is is the big win for everybody, because you can suddenly get access to large groups of people. So again, Mozambique, we've just signed up the Cotton Growers Association, that's 30,000 farmers that will all come through our system using agency banking. In Nigeria, there's an 8 million farmer ecosystem. Wow. Once you get to those, you can move very fast. And I mean, you know, the, the story of Africa, from my perspective, is is it such a, from an agricultural point of view, it's got the historical farming blood. You know, everyone wants to be a farmer or is a farmer. You've got wonderful climate and weather, and yet you still have this problem that Africa is not feeding itself yet. So do you see yourself sort of playing a larger role than just being a financial institution, but looking at some of these value chains and and trying to smooth out some of the hiccups that must be there, preventing Africa from really taking off as a food producer? I think you're spot on. The lack of insurance availability or insurance take up and understand that you can smooth out some of the rough patches in the weather usually is something that we're working on closely. So in the Nigerian project up front, we've gone to Afina to try and provide some form of insurance offer to us, which we can then pass on to the farmer as they start to uh, build up their business. So I think that's the next step forward. It's micro farm insurance or micro crop insurance that's going to come as scale is provided. So the game is how do you build the big ecosystem to then make a large insurance provider come in and you can then sachet it down to individual farmer scale. And being across Africa, where it's obviously not yet like Europe, for example, you've got multiple sort of jurisdictions and regulatory environments. How complex is that to operate as a business? And and do you see a future where that's a bit more integrated? I wish I could see a future that saw it more integrated and Mm. it is increasingly complex because each regulator, while they do operate together, we're part of the Alliance for Financial Inclusion, which is over 
100 emerging markets, regulators, governments come together to promote financial inclusion. They still all want to do it their own way. They're right. still very territorial. So no, you can't do cross-border data processing, even though the cloud facilitates it. So you've got a lot of, call them bottlenecks. So for us, while they are bottlenecks, they are complexity in some respects, we also see them as barriers to entry. So if you can come up with a model that is replicatable and scalable across borders, and you've got the infrastructure on the ground to be able to manage compliance, regulatory risk, et cetera, then that's, again, a very... Yeah, that's model. interesting, you know, so your, your weakness is your strength to a certain yeah. extent. Um, you talked about clouds, we've talked about weather. Now let's talk about technology. What sort of uh, technologies do you see emerging that are going to make a difference in the business that you run? The obvious one is obviously the use of the mobile for pretty much anything you can think of these days. And the, the sophistication of what you can put on there which to the end user is very simplistic, is fantastic. And we could talk about that all night and all day. But I just love stories. The M-Pesa is a great story, but it's, to my mind, it's one ecosystem. It's not interoperable. People talk about interoperability, but they talk about it between M&Os because everyone's got two phones because of the switching cost. We say forget all of that. If you can introduce a banking wallet between mobile wallets and the banking wallets linked to a bank account, you've got full interoperability. I can pay you if you're an Orange user and I'm an Airtel. And if you bank with Equity Bank and I bank with KCB, it should be irrelevant to you because at the end of the day, the customer doesn't want to have to worry about that. All they want to do is pay for the goods that have been exchanged. So the mobile is going to really open up in our mind a, a lot of different things. The, the tap and go technology, which we see here in Europe, there's a big project we're working on with MasterCard and an Indian software developer. I see that technology for things like the Boda Boda in Kenya, which you will know is the jump on motorcycle taxi. If you can just tap and go and your fare's paid, sure. I mean, that's convenience. It, yeah. it takes out low value transaction. It takes out risk for the taxi driver. It's convenient for the user. So all of those technologies, which are still, I guess, already there, are being used for different things in Africa because they're new. Obviously, a large part of your business is, is lending. It has been traditionally. You're saying you're building up the other elements of it. Mm. Do you see the a sort of smarter use of data going forward and, and credit scoring and things like that? Because, it, I mean, it is quite tough sometimes to get enough data to make a, a good judgment on lending, isn't it? So for those sides of things, absolutely, it's critical data. We've set up a data analytics team in the last year. We've outsourced so far credit scoring to marketplace providers. And we're doing a, an MSE. We don't call them SMEs. We work one level down, micro and small, as opposed to small and medium. And uh, there's a company out there that we're piloting for six months on low value, micro and small uh, entrepreneur loans, where it will literally approve it on the spot. And that mm. changes the environment a lot rather than credit committees and the old traditional ways of doing it. So definitely credit scoring is there. We're seeing different ways to approach it. We met a company in Kenya the other day that is not only getting M&O transactional or statements, they're also scraping uh, social media usage so they can really see what a customer is up to. And of course, that insight is also telling them that people are borrowing from one new technology to pay off the loan from another technology to pay off the loan from a previous one. That's very worrying when you can start to see that yeah. using scoring. But it's coming. It will be there. It's going to be absolutely the critical part of, I guess, predictive lending. Yeah. But we also think savings is the way to go as well. We're seeing a lot of uptake. We've got a mobile wallet in Ghana now where people are saving. The pilot 1,500 people came
came on board. Uh, we're launching into a two million uh, customer ecosystem in Tanzania with our mobile wallet savings product. And I think that will give us a lot of insights because if you look at it, it's the other side of lending. It's not how much I owe, it's how much do I actually earn and keep and then use. So you start to get dynamics of where they might want to borrow. I was going to ask you, why does a, a successful global banker suddenly want to come in and take on the, the challenges of operating in multiple African countries and growing a business rapidly? But I think it, it's kind of become apparent while we talked. I mean, it sounds like fun. <laughs> it is the best job I've ever had. I'll say that straight off. I love the continent, the entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, someone with $10 can actually create a business. It's just amazing what they do with these small loans. We've launched with MTN in uh, in in Ghana. In September, we started the pilot. We've just done over a million loans in those first few months. We're talking about average size of loan, about $12, $15. And that's changing lives. That's what turns me on. Brilliant. Well, Chris Lowe, thank you very much for joining us today. Sorry we took you out of whatever it was, 30-odd degrees in, in Botswana <laughs> to minus five here in I'll London. I'll be back on <laughs> Sunday. It'll be okay. <laughs> Great to see you. Thank you All very right. much. Thanks, Bernard. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.